0: Welcome to Leafing Out, a podcast about gardening. I'm Rebecca.
1: And I'm Gabe.
0: And we are not experts, we're amateur gardeners sharing what we learn as we learn it on our gardening journey. It's been a long journey.
1: And a long time since our last podcast. <laughs>
0: very long time. We've been on quite a journey since our last podcast episode. That's right. A journey rife with Daycare closings, lack of child Mm -hmm. care, uh,
1: COVID scares,
0: scares,
1: misadventures, late
0: COVID malaise.
1: Yeah. 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 All right. Um, What are we talking about today? Why
0: don't we just do like, I want to know, I feel like you've been doing gardening and I have just not at all. Can you just tell me what is going on in our garden? It's winter now. It's, we should probably give like a little timestamp. It's December 28th. Yep.
1: 2021
0: yeah and so a lot of things i just asked for an update and i'm already giving the update myself but what i've been noticing outside is we finally have done something that people always say to do that i always read and was like ah that sounds so boring i don't want to do that which is plant things that are green in the winter so that there's something to look at even in the winter time last year we um Last spring I guess we planted um, some stuff some more stuff that's evergreen and gosh have I been noticing what an upgrade it is out back? Um, yeah, but you've been actually plodding around out there. I've just been kind of looking through the back kitchen window as I like do dishes yet again.
1: Well I like that's talking about eye. evergreens for a minute because I think I remember early conversations about our our garden and you talking about that piece of advice and for some reason, I don't know, maybe maybe it's what everybody thinks of, or maybe it was just me. People talk about evergreens, and I think of needles. I think of, like, you know, a Christmas tree, or, like, you know, a shrub that has needles, or, or whatever. Um, and I think something that changed my perception of that advice is just realizing that, like, there are lots of things that have leaves like rhododendrons or um mountain laurel which is what we planted uh, a whole bunch of along our back fence that don't have needles
0: yeah it's true I think when I was hearing like plant evergreens so that there's something to look at in winter my mind went to like arborvitae and other like um pine evergreen things that are like is that the right word that's not even the right word but you know what I mean like evergreen what you think of as evergreen plants that are like um, well they don't have
1: leaves they or that they're the type yeah. of leaf they have is sort of very spiny whether it's an actual needle
0: this is the part where we're not experts comes yeah. in
1: <laughs> well whatever I think suffice to say that there's lots of different types of evergreens
0: there's plants that are that happen to be evergreen that aren't what what leap to my mind when I think about an evergreen like an evergreen shrub or tree or something yeah that I have been delighted to find that feel kind of like Needle in a Haystack's little finds Um, like we were just out there and I was really enjoying having, let's just rattle off what some of them are. Yeah, there's Um, the Wood Spurge. Wood Spurge is so cool. So cool. There's a lot of different Spurges um, and things that call themselves Spurge and people know different things as Spurge. What we're talking about, I've, I've sometimes seen referred to as Cushion Spurge. It's Euphorbia Amygdaloid amygdaloides amygdaloides yep. Amygdaloid. euphorbia amygdaloides wood spurge let's okay. just take um, that back a little bit so
1: i was gonna say i'm back with a non-squeaky chair
0: <laughs> yes you you've, we paused you've come back with a not squeaky chair um i was gonna say that the what we have is euphorbia amygdaloides variation robier wood spurge which is also known as i'm reading this off of gardenia.net wood spurge Mrs. Rob's Bonnet, Rob's Spurge, and Euphorbia robiae. Um, It's a spreading evergreen perennial. It's just cool. It's one of those plants that, to me, looks like something um, that almost looks like it would grow under the sea. Like something that you would find in, like, Mm -hmm. a coral reef or something, Mm -hmm. you know, a little bit strange looking.
1: Yeah, and it's not a native to North America. I think it's a native of Europe. But I think when we've talked in the past about like using your non-natives for something kind of special, like like sprinkling them in, I think it's a great one for that because it is evergreen because it's like a low grower that has this really cool leaf shape. It's also, um, I think, pretty uh, adaptable to different light levels. Like we have it in very part shade, some might even say full shade um, and it's doing great. So- yeah, it says
0: on here that it's a full sun to part shade lover. I would say we have it in like part verging on full shade, yeah. and it's just fine. And it it's nice because it kind of clumps up pretty fast. Like it, I'm really surprised by how it has filled in. We have it planted right under a magnolia, and it just is lovely and looks like it's been there for years. And it's so mm-hmm. nice that it is just robust this time of year. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do we have that's really nice right now? We have um, Christmas fern that is looking great. Mm-hmm. That is so lovely.
1: Christmas fern is really one of my favorites. I feel like, and that is a native, um, at least in North America, I don't know what part, but um, I feel like it's, is when I think of like a plant that can go in like any garden, like any garden, like you could put in Christmas fern, it's full shade. So it's like fills in a, um, you know, a niche that not a lot of other plants do. It's so pretty. and And tell me it's like, almost evergreen like it'll it'll last pretty much through the winter so this is our first year having it so it'll be interesting to
0: see exactly how long it holds out because i feel like our garden we've talked about this before has a little bit of a microclimate where it doesn't receive that much wind and some things kind of stick around and don't get too cold blasted mm-hmm. even though we're in zone 6b some things that shouldn't last all winter kind of tend to with us Um, so we'll see, but I my impression is that part of why it's called Christmas fern is that it stays green through like January and it holds out for most of winter and then it's You're going to lose it by the end of the winter, but it will provide some, some green interest. Um, even when, when most things have died, it holds out like way, way, way through the, the first frost when so many of your, um, foliage plants are going to just, be done for the season.
1: And I want to jump on your point about wind. I think that is something that even if we have said this on a previous podcast, bears repeating that when I was starting out, I definitely always thought of hardiness as a um, function of temperature. And the more I've delved into particularly like creating low tunnels for some of the vegetables in the garden, the more um, I've realized it's really a function of temperature combined with wind exposure So if you have, like you're saying, a place that is sheltered from wind, you can get away with, you know, overwintering a rosemary in Zone 6b, where we are, or some of those other plants that, like, might only really be hardy to Zone 7. Um, You can really kind of push it if you shelter them from wind. Yeah, that gives you kind of a nice little
0: window for that. A lot of plants will be pretty happy with. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you tell us more about the the wind tunnels that you're doing? What did you do out there? I saw um, you.
1: Well, they they aren't wind tunnels. They're they're oh low yeah,
0: tunnels. not wind tunnels.
1: <laughs> that would be um, interesting. But uh, yeah, so over the, two of the beds, um, I have those um, those remesh panels that I turn into little tomato cages. And And then you just bend them into place? Yeah, I just sort of, you know, unhook them. I had, like, cut them so that I had little sort of hooky pieces on the end, and I can turn them into, like, a column that creates a tomato cage.
0: So you buy sheets of remesh Mm -hmm. at, like, Lowe's or Home Depot or whatever. Yeah. And you bring them home on the roof of your car, holding onto them Mm -hmm. down the highway, if Mm -hmm. I recall correctly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That That sounds right. We'll go with that story.
0: And then you bend them into like a half circle kind of
1: for the tunnels mm-hmm. yeah so for the tunnels i mean i was just telling my whole journey with it which was turning them into the tomato cages and then unbending them slightly mm. so that they're half circles and i drape um greenhouse plastic over them um and it's just an open ended tunnel so back to the um the frost question like it it provides no, like there, there's no greenhouse effect. It's not trapping air. It's not any warmer in there than it is outside. Um, it's
0: more of like an umbrella situation. It's
1: exactly like an umbrella. Yeah. But an umbrella that goes to the ground so that you're not getting that wind exposure. And I don't totally understand the science behind it, but there is something. Yeah, there that that the wind, the snow can make a difference, but particularly the wind. I think it's like a drying effect on the leaves of plants that somehow sort of like dries them out to the point that they can't.
0: I know that that is a thing. What we think about um, water loss in plants as being related to the dryness of the soil but um, like on hot days when you have the sun beating down, we think of the plants as getting really dry because like so much is evaporating. The wind is make it if it's breezy and windy, the wind is going to make your your uh, evaporation rate so much faster. Right. right. Yeah. So um, wait. So you're you're just covering the tops of the low tunnels. You, I think you put a photo of this on Instagram. Someone mm-hmm. wants to yep. actually see what they yep. look like. I would be so confused right now if I didn't know what they look like. <laughs> um, but why don't you cover the ends? Like, Would not that be, would you be able to grow more things if you covered the right. ends and had it be warmer inside? Right. What's so up that's with
1: that? what I started with is I thought like, oh, I'm going to make this like miniature greenhouse. And like it'll be a few degrees warmer and it like things will grow and whatever. And I realized that on that small of a scale, you really can't do that. You won't get a greenhouse effect um because it just like isn't big enough to trap enough air like you don't really have any insulation right you just have this piece of plastic so you're relying on like a lot of sunlight coming in heating up like a large amount of air heating up the soil that is like underneath that greenhouse and on a on a much larger scale that can really work like you can go into a you know a greenhouse that's that that you can walk into in the middle of winter and on a freezing cold day, it'll be, you know, 75 degrees, but on this scale, it just doesn't, it doesn't really work. Um, or it's, I'll say it doesn't work for me. And maybe there are other people who have different experiences, but. Please
0: write um, in if you have turned your low tunnels yeah. into a little greenhouse situation, let us know. Yeah. Tell us
1: about it. I would love to hear from folks. Um, cause I know there are people who sort of proselytize about, uh, Different sorts of setups, um, little boxes with hay bales and window panes, all this sort of stuff. Um, but what I found is that like it really wasn't getting any warmer in there, and what was happening is that I was getting um, tons of bugs. Um, so like we had parsley, uh, and you know, parsley is great. Like it can you know it can last all winter if it's under cover but it was just covered in aphids cause there was nothing, to, they got in there and there was nothing to eat them. And, you know, it was sort of to a point where I didn't really want to use the parsley. So I figured, well, this year I'll leave the ends open that will hopefully take care of the bug issue cause there'll be predator bugs. And if the, if the aphids are alive, then things will be alive that can eat them. Um, and I think it'll sort of pretty much the same, it, it'll give pretty much the same amount of protection.
0: So were the yeah. aphids last year?
1: Aphids were last year, yeah.
0: So we're going to see what happens. We're going to see what
1: happens. Yeah, this is no, this is unproven. Um, I'm surprised
0: that there even are aphids. I hate aphids. I'm so surprised that there are aphids in winter. This is dismal news for me. I really (laughs) hate aphids. We've talked about
1: this before. (laughs) Well, there aren't. That's the thing is, I just covered the um, the parsley the other day and there weren't any aphids on it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's like. I think it takes, like, a special set of circumstances for the aphids to thrive in winter. A special set of circumstances provided by a low tunnel that is closed.
0: Your attorney father would say you were creating an attractive nuisance for the aphids. Something. By creating your closed low tunnels with such nice, cozy, protected circumstances for them. Right. So what else are you going to grow
1: this year? So I'm taking it pretty easy. I, in... I guess it was late summer, I planted a whole bunch of arugula in one bed, and there's also parsley in that bed, so I've covered that, that will, um, that'll last, like, pretty much all winter, I mean, maybe by, like, late February, if we haven't eaten it all by then, it might be a little funny, but, um, the arugula is super hardy, and it develops, like, um, I mean, it gets definitely stronger in flavor. Like, I don't think I would want to even now eat, like, a whole salad of that arugula. It's, like, very oh, super spicy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a wonderful green. It feels, like, very special to me to, like, mm-hmm. you have your salad of, like, romaine or spinach or, you know, whatever sort of mild green, and you throw a bunch of that in, and it really, like, adds something nice. Um, do you have
0: this now? Na- it's growing out there now? Like, mm-hmm. it's ready to go?
1: Yeah, it's ready to go. You should
0: throw it in the soup that I'm going to make tomorrow. Right. we'll do it. I'm going to make, I'll tell you what the soup is. I'm going to make a soup that is chicken stock pasta like radiator pasta you know and um pork and fennel seed um so it's like a sausagey soup with she calls for broccoli rob um and that would be i was planning on doing that but maybe we could just like throw a handful of the arugula in yeah, at the very end that'd be great. I yeah, love, just like, doing the soup with, mm-hmm. like, just throw a handful of spinach or something on the top yeah. at the very end. It'll just swilt as it goes in. Yeah. That sounds really good.
1: Another point that is something that sort of took me a while to figure out uh, is to, to your question of, like, is it ready to go now? With all of these, like, low tunnel setups, you really don't have enough light or warmth to grow anything like you're just keeping stuff alive basically like what you have out there in like mid to late September like that's it it's done growing like you are not gonna get your plants will not get any bigger they will not grow more leaves they won't if if you're doing like just a low tunnel if you're doing something like unheated I mean admittedly we don't have like a ton ton of light here so Maybe this would be different if you had like full, full, full sun, if you are in the middle of a field with like as much light as possible. But even so, like farmers who do this professionally, I think October through February, you're not growing anything. You're just keeping it alive. So you have to kind of think about that when you're planting. You really want to be that arugula I maybe planted in mid-August so that it had like a good month, month and a half to grow. And then it's just hanging out for the winter. You would ask what else I'm growing. In the other bed, there's Claytonia, which right now is little tiny seedlings. What's um,
0: Claytonia, Gabe?
1: <laughs> well, this is also on Instagram. I feel like we're doubling up, but that's fine. Um, Claytonia is also called Miner's Lettuce. and Miner's? It's a, miner's Lettuce, yeah, because...
0: Like children? Like the
1: youths? Um, no, like gold miners. Um, Because when the gold miners went west to California and they were all, I don't know, had scurvy or whatever um, other diseases came from not eating any greens, uh, Claytonia is like the first green that appears in the springtime. So it will... start growing from seed once temperatures get below about 50 in the fall and it stays really really small for most of the winter and then um as the days start getting longer and this is an interesting thing like it's not actually that the temperature is getting warmer so you're like oh it still seems cold out but you can notice that the 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 miners letters really takes off the Claytonia really takes off and um, um. I have planted it, what, two years ago, and it just reseeds itself in this bed, even though I'm growing lots of other things in that bed over the summer. And it reseeds itself, and in the fall, I start seeing it poking up, and then by, uh, I would say, like, early April, the whole bed is full of this really nice, um, wonderful green that I feel like is a little bit special because you can't really buy it in stores, it bruises so easily that, um, Unless you have, like, a, you know, farmer's market that sells it. It's pretty hard to find.
0: It is so delightful. I had no idea that that is always just reseeding itself. Like, we've had it several years in a row, and I thought that you planted it. It's, ah, this is lazy, lazy genius kind of stuff. Yeah. That I love. And it's so cute looking too. It's I feel like those leaves come up and they're like kind of heart shaped mm-hmm. and and small and the they taste so good. The leaves almost have um, the texture of like baby spinach or something. The way that mm-hmm. those leaves are kind of like thick and spongy and crisp. Yeah,
1: it's, or like a watercress or something. Right. Yeah,
0: it's so like mild and sweet and nice. And
1: then they get they go to seed in or they start flowering. I should say. Yeah, and I think like mid-April or maybe late April, and they have those cute little white blossoms that are adorable, kind of fun in salad. Adorable, adorable edible flowers, so
0: tiny. People are like, what is this? Mm-hmm. You want to impress your friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grow some Claytonia and throw it in a salad and be like, right. I grew it. Right, yeah. They will be like, what? <laughs> I guess, maybe, maybe they will. I guess it depends on your friends. It
1: depends on your friends. I would say my other favorite things that are growing right now are um, the hookera which is just a... I love the heuchera. It's so... Another plant that I feel like, what garden wouldn't that work in? Another low-light plant. um, Not evergreen, but definitely like gives you something to look at, something green.
0: It's another one that lasts almost all winter long. Yeah. At the very end of winter, the leaves will be kind of beat up where we live anyway, Mm -hmm. but then soon enough the new growth will come, and it's just like a wonderful... I don't know. It's not a I was going to say focal point, but it's it could be a focal point or not depending on what varietal cuz there's so many. There's like mm-hmm. and in the winter it's chartreuse.
1: a focal point. It's right, it's of a focal a, point almost in like the winter. an evergreen in that
0: way. But it can be a really nice filler in the summer to um, you know, bolder kind of things and it's also native. Yeah. Hucura. There's a million
1: different colors. I mean, we have what we have dark purple, we have bright lime green. It's like
0: chartreuse. Chartreuse, you might say, yeah, um, they're so nice. Hookera is also known as coral bells, Mm -hmm. and it's a relative that you'll also see hookarella, which I think is a blend of hookera and tiarella. Which also is a native and is also a favorite of mine out there right now. That's still going strong out there. And it's is a beautiful, is so pretty. And we just planted it this past summer and it's like a carpet. It's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's so happy. It's just nice to see one of those natives that's like, oh, I know exactly what I'm doing here. I'm yeah. happy to be right. here. This is my ideal circumstances and I'm just going to make myself at home.
1: Right. It is a strong argument for that. Very practical. Like if you plant natives, you don't have to do a lot of gardening.
0: Yeah. It's going to be, <laughs> it's going to go well for you probably. Yeah.
1: The antithesis of roses, or something,
0: right? Exactly. Yeah, everyone should have some some um, coral bells in their garden. Yes. I think it's like one of those things, yes. like Japanese forest grass, that just looks good everywhere. And mm-hmm. those two actually go really nicely together.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Any other favorite winter plants that you're enjoying right now?
1: I'm just going to vote again for the mountain laurel. It's so pretty. It's native. It's a gorgeous shrub to small tree in the wild i think in um like a garden setting usually tops out at about 15 feet beautiful leaves sort of waxy like somehow very it's like a dark green but it seems like very bright at the same time i don't quite know how to describe it but it's like a very saturated green i guess
0: it's just really beautiful and like just a little bit different i'm gonna go ahead and say if you're thinking about planting arborvitae or something that you need for privacy so you're like oh i need it to be dense and evergreen oh arborvitae home depot said arborvitae Please, please plant mountain laurel. It's native. It's beautiful. It's not as common as rhododendron or something else. It flowers mm-hmm. so beautifully in spring. Oh, it's my God. The flowers looking. are
1: incredible.
0: Um, you know what I'm really enjoying, too, is some of the plants that are, like, dried and dead but have beautiful oh, form. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Um,
0: our limelight hydrangea is really nice. All of the blooms are kind of dried in place on it. And we had our first snowfall right around Christmas time. Um Luckily, oh it was so nice to have snow on Christmas amidst everything that's been such a shit show this year. Anyway, seeing the snowfall on the hydrangea, dried hydrangea blossoms out there was so beautiful. And some of the grasses and stuff I think are really pretty out there. I don't even know what what is like so pretty out there right now. The
1: fern spore we called them seed heads and then we were like, wait, ferns don't have seeds, they're not seed heads. But the the whatever part of the fern is that kind of sticks up and has the little I think spore dispersal pods attached to it, they're just these like little brown husks, but they're so pretty they're and really yeah, cool looking. That idea of something for the snow to fall on.
0: Yeah, the astilbe also special. the blooms of that have dried and are still mm-hmm. sticking up and just providing a little bit of texture and back, yeah. and it's just really nice and kind of haunted looking in a cool wintry. Way I love like not doing the winter cleanup that people do mm-hmm. and just letting it lie and letting the insects over winter and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's great for the environment. It's less work for me. Yeah. And then you can kind of poke around and see how the form that things take as the top part of the plant material dies and the energy of the plant is all resting under the ground you can kind of remember Mm -hmm. what's where and
1: and you're allowed to do your spring cleanup once it's above 50 the insects have hatched and you can you can still get it's not like you have to leave it there forever but yeah it is really nice to have it in the winter yeah i think we did
0: it thanks for listening if you have a question that you want answered on the podcast we would love 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 to hear from you you can email us Or even better, email us a voice memo and we'll play it on the air. Mm -hmm. Email us at leafingoutpod at gmail.com. And you can also DM us on Instagram. We're at leafingoutpod over there. We post a lot of photos um, and Instagram stories so that you know what our
1: some photos. We'll try to post more
0: photos. (laughs) And it would be really awesome if you wanted to pop over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review us. That really helps other people find the podcast in the sea of gardening podcasts that apparently exist. I've found more and more like every day. Mm -hmm. Thanks again for
1: listening. Happy gardening. See you out there.